All right, all right, all right. Let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. <laughs> well, hello and welcome to the actual Anarchy Podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian anarcho-capitalist perspective. Tonight, we're going to pop into the Biosphere 2 in the Dark City Dome for the Hunger Games to battle it out with socialist Jim Carrey as we discuss his 1998 film, The Truman Show, on this episode 123 of the show. My co-host is Robert. How you doing? We're gonna Yeah, buddy. What's up? As easy as one, two, three. Episode one, two, three. We'll do it. We're going to do it to it. Mm, peeping in on all your sex times. Well, they just cut to commercial or not commercial. No, they, they do the fuzzy outs and like the, the soft music they get the playing. And then the curtain draws or whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So this is going to be a, a fun one. We were going to have Olaf the Narco Viking on as our guest, but he had a, uh, a situation come up where his schedule did not work out. So we let our buddy Mike C know that, hey, you want to come back on the show and talk about this? So he's going to join us when we get into the last night's portion of the show. Yeah, yeah, and he watched it while he was blackout drunk. So we're going to find out how much he remembers. That'll be yeah, good. Yeah. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. I mean, well, I'm actually having a hard time drinking today. I almost took a day off. It's pretty bad. Wow. Yeah, we'll, have you, we'll have you stand on one leg and say everything about the movie backwards just to test you. Yeah, to put your fingers on your nose, too. Should be a lot of fun. So, Robert, let's get into this, shall we? The okay. portion of the show. Sure, yeah, let's do it. Everyone, it's Daniel Elwood and Robert Johnson, The Last Nighters. And The Last Nighters is part of the Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in your direction. Check it out at thelaunchpadmedia.com. That's my new thing. The little, little rocket sound. Robert, Robert did the little rocket launch right there. And we are going to be doing The Truman Show tonight. This is episode 66 of the show. And you can find the show notes more at lastnighters.com. Also, we're often slinging our Patreon, which you can... Find at lastnighters.com slash Patreon and get pre-show and post-show content. However, comma, I must say that as much as we appreciate your patronage, um, money isn't our motivating factor for this. I mean, it is a bit of a motivator. It's like a a little bit of a, hey, people appreciate us. We're going to do this and uh, people care enough. And so let's feel good about it. And, And that's great. But it's not like there's enough money to where it really makes a significant difference in our standard of living. So... What I'm trying to say in a very ham-fisted way is that I might want to redirect some of the focus for supporters of the show into a direction of getting more earballs on the show. That would probably be more effective than you know sending us more money, getting us more subscribers and more listens and getting more exposure to these ideas uh, that we talk about on this uh, last night's show, I think would have more impact in the world. you know. And so uh, you can help us by giving us a subscription on the old YouTubes or on iTunes or your podcast podcatcher of choice. Also leaving us a review. 
in iTunes would be very, very beneficial. I think we have like 14 or 15 reviews right now. But the more reviews we get, uh, the more exposure the show gets to other people looking for shows in this kind of genre. And so I think that would really be an effective way of getting additional listeners. Um, and then other ways that you can help is give us some uh, feedback on our Facebook pages. You can retweet us. Um, you can call us out when you think we're wrong when we're talking about a movie, uh, like Nikki P did when we did Dark City. Um, uh, retweet the tweets. I think I said that. You could suggest movies. You could suggest guests for us. You could even be a guest. We've done that a number of times. Uh, Mike Z is uh, a friend of ours who is... Uh, we know him because of the show, and, and now he's been a guest several times. And so anyway, these are just some ideas we can throw out there. That's eight or nine different things uh, on top of the Patreon thing. And uh, yeah, that's my that's my spiel. Uh, Robert, any comments before we introduce Mike and get into the show here? Yeah, when it comes to podcasts, exposure is never indecent. Thank you for your support and give us all the uh, support and love that you can. If you believe in what we're talking about, if you don't believe what we're talking about, I don't know why you're listening. But, you know, yeah. Anyway. Or, you know, challenge us. Tell us we're dumb. That's fine. <laughs> Berate us. Tell we're us how we're wrong. That. We're good with that. All right. Speaking of berating us, we have a friend of ours who uh, does it early and often. Uh, we we chat on the uh, the Google Hangouts every now and again, sending uh, memes and other different uh, interesting uh, <laughs> stories to each other. And uh, he's, he's a good guy. He's been on for most recently Collateral and Starship Troopers. He is Mike C. He hails from Canada. He makes electronic music that is heavily sampled or is made of samples heavily and is probably now banned in all of the European Union. He is Mike C. How you doing, sir? Doing well, yourself? Doing well, doing well. We are, uh, of course, going to have a link to your music on the show notes page at lastnerves.com. So 66. Uh, you sent me some of your new stuff and uh, I do dig it very much. And uh, I think that uh, if anyone wants to just have some kind of in the background kind of music just going on, whether focusing on some work or something like that uh, it's a, it's a great fit it's the soundtrack to your life yeah i'm pretty happy with this last one nice and how many royalties are you paying for all these samples sir uh none because it's zero and i'm not sure how you could have since there's only eight notes so how is kanye supposed to buy another jet um well it's funny because he didn't pay daft punk for um for a faster harder stronger until he had to he sampled he sampled their music as a hook and then so you're just waiting to get sued is that what you're doing uh, yeah, I mean, that'd be good, right? Well, you other got... than being on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, wrong. yeah. I mean, there's probably five people. Hey, we're getting up there. We're getting up there in those numbers. So I think that we should get on with the, uh, the show here. The Truman Show is our fair tonight. And this is a, a bit of a continuation of the theme we've been doing with the uh, Dome and Flat Earth. Uh, we did Dark City with Nikki P from Sounds Like Liberty. And we did Behind the Curve, which is a documentary about the Flat Earth movement. And now we're doing Truman Show, which is referenced in uh, Behind the Curve. And uh, I think that we might kick this habit eventually. All we have to do is The Matrix next, and then we'll have the entire, like, living in a false narrative. Inception. Uh, there we go. Well, I think we'll do all the movies that are, where the, the, the main character doesn't know really what's going on. Yeah. So, yeah, there's, there's too many. But let's, let's get in, in with this. This is uh, episode 66, like I said. The Google information is The Truman Show came out... In 1998, it's a drama and fantasy film, one hour and 43 minutes. The director is Peter Weir, and it got 8.1 on IMDb, 94% Rotten Tomatoes, 90% Metacritic, and 95% of Google users like it. The description is, he doesn't know it, but everything in Truman Burbank's life is part of a massive TV set. 
Executive producer Christoph orchestrates The Truman Show, a live broadcast of Truman's every move captured by hidden cameras. Christoph tries to control Truman's mind, even removing his true love, Sylvia, from the show and replacing her with Meryl. As Truman gradually discovers the truth, however, he must decide whether to act on it. So this is kind of a disjointed uh, description that I'm awkwardly reading here. Um, screenplay, Andrew Nichol, starring Jim Carrey, of course. And at this time, he was one of the biggest movie stars in the world, commanding $20 million per movie. But he took a pay cut to do this one and only charged $12 million, $12 million. So, uh, Robert, why don't you kick it off with uh, your thoughts on the description, then we'll go to our guest, Mike. Yeah, so this one, what, takes place around... Would you say that the, the the movie takes place over the course of like a week? Yeah, Probably. it's a few days here and there. Yeah, more or less. But it's like, it kind of, you really have to suspend your disbelief because he's clueless up until this point in his life. And then everything falls apart for the TV show during this couple of day span. Like they've been good, 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 good. And then, oh, everything, all the shit falls down, hits the fan. But you got to tell a story. Um, this was a, you know, it was a fun movie. I was thoroughly engaged the entire time. Um, I, I don't know what it is about these sorts of movies, these you know, false reality movies, but they are quite interesting to think about. Um, it was fun watching it after watching Behind the Curve. I could say that much, but um, I don't know. Jim Carrey was a decent actor, you know, back in the day. He was kind of transitioning from comedy, trying to do more serious work at this time. It's probably what took a big K cut because he wanted to be taken seriously. And uh, I think he did a pretty good job. Although the whole thing is just ridiculous. I mean, when, when, when the... Uh, you know, they're having a conversation and like, would you like this kind of coffee? And she holds it up like she does in a commercial and she's talking about how it's great and tastes great and all the people enjoy it or whatever. It's like, maybe if you got, if, if that's how people really acted all the time around you, you'd think that was just a normal thing. But then he calls it out and going, who are you talking to? So the the veil immediately falls. I don't know. Uh, it was a lot of fun, but you know, it's not without its walls. We'll get into it. Yeah. All right. Well, that's, that's pretty good. Mike, your thoughts on the description and, and anything that Robert just said. Uh, yeah, you, I mean, you don't want to give the game away if you're going to do it as well. It's not too bad. Uh, it does happen. Yeah, I, I would call this, like, compared to Dark City or something a bit more, like, you know, Red Pill, all that stuff. This is a little more sort of Platonistic, like um, the allegory of the cave, basically, by Plato, right? So I'm sure everyone knows this story where there's the shadows on the wall. You know what I'm talking about? Anyway. Um, yeah, no, I think it, it follows that sort of Platonist concept, like there's a veiled reality and it's... It's difficult to transition to the actual reality, but it's instantaneous as soon as you realize sort of what's up. So, and, and presumably everyone would have been acting the way they acted around him his entire life. So he would have been sort of conditioned differently than us to not respond to blatant advertising and odd behavior like that. Just, you know, sort of, to, to me, kind of explains, you know, how, how he would have been fooled. But yeah, I mean, it does happen pretty quickly, but I don't know. I think... That sort of um, enlightenment does just sort of happen overnight for a lot of people. I think you hit a piece of trauma that just changes your outlook and then it just spirals. I mean, how was the, how was the transition into sort of libertarianism from sort of classical liberalism for you? How quickly did that happen? A year? Right, right. You, you get a, a buildup of information, then all of a sudden it clicks. And then yeah. all the stuff you heard in the past kind of all of a sudden makes sense. Like, oh, they're lying to us. Oh, okay. And it isn't the lie that I thought I was. These plateaus of enlightenment. You think you've solved it. And then you're like, oh, no, fuck. They're, it's, it's even worse. And you're like, oh, my God, it's even worse. And you get down to the brass tacks. And you're like, why is the government even building roads? <laughs> yeah, I hate roads. But yeah. No, no, I'm just saying, why Why does it the manufacturer of the product driving on the roads building the roads? It's like, why do, why do cars get a free pass? They're private. Yeah, yeah. You're asking too many questions here, Mike. 
but uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. It is it is like this buildup of of pressure, and finally there's a straw that breaks the camel's back. So I sort of give it a pass on the events unfolding after he's like been in there for 30 years. I mean, he's the first uh, first baby adopted by a corporation, and he's brought up in this environment. And like as you said, uh, he everyone acts this way all the time around him. So this would be his normal. And Kristoff even says, we accept the reality of the world in which we are presented. It's as simple as that. And I, I think that goes also a long way into why people believe in statism and, and believe in the state is because that's what you're growing up in. And, and you're put into um, government schools and there's government influence in media and news and, and all sorts of things. So of course you're gonna accept the, the reality that is presented to you rather than the truth behind it. And as you said, um, you know, when, when you kind of come upon libertarianism, it is also a buildup until you finally realize that everything they're telling you is pretty much distorted or there to aggrandize themselves or from the intellectual class seeking political favor uh, in, in symbiotic relationships where they legitimize each other. So once you kind of get past that point, then yeah, you get this new set of eyes and then, then you're making podcasts about movies. And then it's all downhill after that. But let's talk about, you, you, you briefly brought it up there, that Truman is adopted as a baby. He was an unwanted child, and he was the first baby adopted by a corporation. Somehow they made that legal or whatever in this world. Okay, fine. But even if you grant the idea that it's okay to take a baby and put him on this TV show and you know, basically create this entire world around him. And, you know, Kristoff thinks of himself as a moral actor. He thinks he's doing a fine, perfectly fine. He, th he thinks the world he created for Truman is better than the actual world. But once Truman basically verbally mentions, you know, he, the whole movie, he's all he wants to do is leave. He wants to go to Tahiti or whatever it is. He wants to go to see this other girl. And everybody painfully knows that. And yet they all conspire to, you know, get him to change his mind, to make him feel guilty about wanting to leave or, oh, you, yeah, you don't have enough money or, you know, what are you going to do for a job? How are we going to support ourselves? I mean, on and on and on. And they know they're just lying to the guy. So even though they think they're just playing a role, I mean, I feel that not only is Christoph an immoral actor in this movie, but all the actors are. And... And I, I don't know if I want to push it all the way to the viewers, but the viewers are all painfully aware of this horrifically immoral situation, and they are actively supporting it by watching it. So I'm kind of throwing the viewers in with the whole bad people, too. I think the only good actor is the girl that loves him and wants him to escape, and Truman. So everyone else is an enabler for this. Well, again, Am I wrong? No, we just we accept the reality that we're given. The pleasant narrative of our jobs being not unethical is much more pleasant than us exploiting somebody for our own gain, right? So, right, yeah, and like we had said on our previous show, I think um, if your livelihood depends on you not seeing something, yeah. uh, then you're not going to see that thing. And so, these people doing these jobs were probably not seeing the uh, immorality of it at all, thinking that, well, I'm just doing my job, you know? Yeah. So we have all this information to take in as animals, but uh, in order to process it all, we manifest a sort of virtual identity that's the, our ego, which expresses our reality in a narrative. And it tells us that things are happening with an arrow of time and that there's like a certain sort of theatrical quality to it, like if then sort of logic. And we end up writing these stories for ourselves. And the way to control people is often have them participate in a narrative that 
lets their ego fit in with everybody else's moving, you know, in, in the same direction. So, you know, that tends to be how we get to group think, right? It just becomes catastrophic when there's too many the narratives, just too simple and too grand, you know, us versus them and stuff like that. So yeah, like, of course, everybody there is ignoring the fact that they're exploiting this because they've, they've undermined the, the part of them that would pity him and, and realize that he has rights by going, well, we're creating a better world for it. It's much less painful and all that. It's like kind of like having a pet, right? Yeah. And that's Kristoff right. doing the central planning action. Yeah. Um, thinking... Yeah. That was my take on Kristoff was that he was the socialist central planner that thinks he has enough knowledge and ability to yeah. perfectly plan this society when he's just got the hubris. He doesn't know that he can't and he, he won't. He, he doesn't account for Truman himself. Yeah. And it's not like he has a functioning economy here. He has scripts. He has people going through the motions, playing market. You know, he's got, um, what's the guy's name? Marlon, who's Truman's friend, stocking shelves or stocking vending machines. Not because people are actually buying things from the vending machines, but because he has to have the illusion of doing something. Right. So he doesn't have the feedback of an actual world. It's, it's something he's just mimicking. It's like a, a communistic society economy. Yeah. Right. Looking at Sears catalog for pricing information. Right. Well, exactly. what, are, what are the pyramids except a social, social democratic uh, work project for the offices? Yeah, you, you just hate pyramids and, and roads. <laughs> I hate pyramids and roads. It's true. That's, uh, that's why I signed up. But Kristoff uh, also takes the role of um, patriarchal government, like trying to, <laughs> trying to nurture him, but also use fear to keep him there, trap him there. And even he says in an interview, well, if Truman really wanted to leave, other than having these sort of misguided um, efforts to try to, to, try to leave, uh, then I would allow him to leave. But he thwarts him at every turn. Like when he finally has enough money, he does something to make sure he doesn't have the money. When he finally uh, has the time to go, then he uh, his mother gets sick, right? As part of the show, right? They write that into the script. She wasn't actually sick. Um, they even when he goes to the travel agency, they yeah, the, have the all signs. These- the, all the, the posters say this. Oh yeah, that was like, oh my god, you you're gonna die. It doesn't seem like it's in their bed. That's the thing, though, is he didn't have a basic understanding or logic. There's no, there's no motivation for a travel agency to have pictures crashing in their in their office. That's absurd. So the the truth was around him all the time. I needed to like have one light drop from the sky for him to start the you know light the match. Right, so, and but but I I feel like one of the biggest um, affronts that Kristoff does is this drowning scene with the father and they make it Truman's fault. They make it his moral burden that he made the choice to go out further and his dad died as a result. I mean, that's some next that's level some fucking messed up you. shit. Yeah, that is some messed up shit. Not, yeah. and then, well, then also calling down the lightning to try and kill him at the end of the movie too. That's, yeah. that's... And, and, and in, in the meantime, they're like gaslighting him the whole time, telling him he's crazy. Yeah, they absolutely are. Uh, and all the actors are. It's I mean, the, guy, the guy with the beard that shows up every time Truman kind of get tries to get wise, they're like, here, drink, drink a couple beers. You'll forget about your troubles. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, they're trying to uh, trap him in his own mind. And it, it reminded me of, you know, when they train um, like circus elephants, at first they'll tie them to something really heavy uh, that they can't move. And then eventually they'll work their way to just having the leash on the, the leg of the elephant tied to like a, uh, like a beach chair or a, a simple reed. And uh, so it's all in the elephant's mind. Well, if this thing is, if I'm tied to something, I can't move. And so what they're doing is they're locking Truman in within his own mind and his own guilt and his own fear, creating this phobia of water and travel. And they're bombarding him with fake news. Like even the, um, 
the radio station that he listens to and any of the TV commercials are all about how dangerous it is out there and how he needs to be safe and he needs to be that's careful. Right. That's exactly what we have right now in our world. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's terrorism everywhere and we deserve to have rights. Take your shoes off the air. Yeah, and we're all going to die in 12 years because of global whatever, oh, yeah. whatever direction it's headed right now. Bring it on. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's it. But like I said, I, like I, I mean, you're you're viewing it through the lens of like statism versus liberty, which is totally fair. Um, I think there's a there's a real sort of biblical reading of the show, like or they they borrow a lot from it. And what's interesting is that like you've got this sort of um, like a Jobian or Jonah and the Whale kind of suffering character protagonist, and God just keeps like fucking with him over and over, and like his enlightenment comes when he's sort of proven that that's what he wants, sort of thing, or that he's like endured enough, which is not. I mean, it's not the greatest message, but it's it it made me think of like the old testament and a lot of those characters like especially job or or jonas um and then there's also sort of a luciferian take where like like so him up in the moon is god and this is probably what the flat earthers were kind of feeding off of because like he's breaking the condition and so like it's it's very similar to the fall and like a luciferian sort of rebellion authority in that sense all right yeah i want to i want to riff off this a little bit sorry i want to riff off of this a little bit because i i in a way i feel like you're almost uh speaking in shorthand yeah, uh, but I'm not sure how to articulate it. But yeah, so, so what I was going to say on the um, biblical angle is that uh, Christoph is so named uh, as the off Christ or the Antichrist. Yeah. And that Truman is so named because through all of these trials and tribulations, you know, the seven years wandering the desert or being swallowed by a whale and going through all these tribulations to become a true man, to fully develop himself mm-hmm. and basically prove to his his master or his God that he is capable of making a decision for his own self. Yeah. That uh, That's what basically the, the entire narrative is about. Now I borrowed a little bit of this from the Wikipedia. Uh, reading. No, no, that, that's what I mean. That's, that's a Luciferian interpretation of the, the show, um, which would make sense if uh, Jim Carrey's like Illuminati. <laughs> Let me show you something. <laughs> is that Illuminati confirmed. <laughs> All right. So one thing I, I wanted to bring up is the two abductions where people are, uh, when the dad returns and he's essentially black bagged by a covert team that takes him, uh, Truman chases this bus and gets cut off by a taxi that has no passenger, no fare paying passenger. Why did not he just get into the taxi and say, follow that bus? All right. So there's that one. And then the other abduction is when he's on the beach with uh, Sylvia and they're getting a little hanky panky. And then some B actor comes in and he's playing the role of her father. She's never met him before, but his his goal is just to get her removed from the set. Why does she not resist him more? Like that abduction was weak. Like he just puts her in the car and like she can't get out. She was like seventeen or eighteen. Okay. Like the actor, the actors have seen, but if they had him growing up, they would have had actors, which is probably why she was uncontrollable. Um, and yeah, like people should stand up as her right. I agree. That people should set up themselves and they totally don't all the time. I, I, I like to play around. I'm going to totally take a left turn here. I like to think if this actual world could exist. And I wonder how easy it would be to get actors for this show. Because even though it's probably like the number one show in the world and they're probably making a, a fair amount of cash, even though they have to use product placement to make money, what you, you basically have to live with this guy in this false world, I mean, yeah, you get to go and have donut breaks in the little green rooms and maybe like once a year you get to like, quote, go on vacation somewhere and actually go home. But otherwise, you're basically trapped in this little fake world all the time. I don't know. It'd probably be good for your career, but I wouldn't want to do it for very long. Well, is this an indictment of capitalism and uh, the system that we have by the commies in Hollywood suddenly? 
like all our jobs and the world we've created is perfect little utopia that's you know a caricature of the 1950s that we're supposed to hate but it's still everything's for sale in there hence the product placement and i think that's a quote that peter weir uh, even described the the truman show like as a concept when he was talking about making the movie that the truman show is all about showing how everything is for sale everything has a price yeah what i mean like the our societies are they, like to his point though like they they would be essentially joining this commune or this this you know uh compound this biosphere and they'd be trapped in it so they'd be like participating in the system superficially the way we sort of do some bogus consumer choices and some bogus consumer interactions that are you know heavily regulated and, and you know essentially it's all for naught because it's just it's just going through the motions so it's kind of like there's a bit of a commie kind of flavor to it or an indictment of the system we have as being inherently false which i mean that's what you're supposed to take right is that like you know it's all a metaphor for our reality you know right Truman's experience is our experience i mean ideally and and everyone else is in on it and and to robert's point they're also living it as well in a way which i mean yeah. that's got to be a little bit bizarre to to live so much of their life basically lying to this other guy and and there's thousands of them that are part of this this entire world that's kind of built around truman to facilitate this facade and i mean it, it, in a way it's prescient for like the big brother type shows and um survivor and all yeah it really was but i can't imagine how um what it would have been like being truman in the show i mean he doesn't know that he's being surveilled constantly and in a way, I mean, we kind of all are now, but I mean, he couldn't, um, I mean, how, how many things would you not want broadcast that you do in private when you are pretty dang sure no one's looking, you know? I mean, <laughs> well, I can think of two things that are fairly embarrassing. Yeah. Everything else, everything else I could kind of live with if I were getting there. But yeah, this is, this came out, um, you know, the movies come out in pairs. So Ed TV was sort of spiritual twin. Okay, like, yeah, I recall there's, that. It's like Volcano, and then there's Dante's Deep Impact, and there's Armageddon. They always come out, and there's one successful one, and one sort of like crappy. Um, and Ed, I think Ed TV did really well, actually, with Matthew McConaughey. But it's, it's, it's the same idea. Uh, and this was happening when like digital photography and digital, like, and, and social media was just kind of finding its legs. It was in its adolescence or in, in its infancy, actually, right? And so uh, I remember thinking, well, a few years after that, so this is quite, yeah, like you said, it's a bit of a sooth predictive but um like how is this going to affect people having cameras in our pockets and constantly like like broadcasting what we ate for lunch and stuff to the world and like just existing in this sort of virtual identity that we call you know ego that's not really us like us as animals completely different experience than than us being watched and acting so it's like yeah those actors are living the part <laughs> and truman is like the ultimate actor in a way right without even without even knowing it and and yeah. to to the social media thing you're often in social media, I think in general, you're presenting what you want to be seen as at that moment. And it's not necessarily who you really are, but no. in a way, because you get to have that outlet. And if you do it repetitively and repetitively enough, and there's also like some um, uh, endorphin like kickers, and that's how they develop these things to try to like get you to keep scrolling or keep liking or keep getting uh, this positive feedback. But it, I think it does change the person and their personality as a result yeah because we're constructing what we want rather than what is right and you're presenting your ideal self you're getting to pick and choose different moments and different shots whereas yeah. truman it was the, the big the whole package the warts and all like people don't take shits on television it's right it's a terrible experience for well i mean it's not terrible but like it's not something that wants to be shared with it 
But they like, do in film. It's like the only thing remaining that people don't tell other people. Well, they, it is depicted in, in film, like Pulp Fiction and Friday. Yeah. And, and I, um, it's for it's, it's for rare. Impact. Yeah. And it's first, yeah, shock, shock value the most of the time. Oh, yeah. Or a power move, like when uh, the drug dealer does it in, uh, what is that, the, uh, the Wire? Yeah, Tarantino loves his bathroom thing. Awful things happen just after bathroom. That's, you know. I mean, that's like filmmaking one-on-one, I think, because it's like symbolism. <sighs> okay, um, moving on. All right, moving on. Uh, so back to Christoph being the uh, the central planner slash antichrist slash benevolent uh, master. Well, it's weird or, because he's God, though. That like, provi- values his own privacy and nobody else's. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that in the interview. He says that he jealously guards his own privacy. Yeah. Meanwhile... Hypocrite much. But, I mean, that's that's a metaphor for government, right? Like... They mm-hmm. promised. I remember when Obama was running, he promised to have the most transparent uh, <laughs> presidency or whatever you call it uh, in administration. His yeah, oh, and it was exact opposite. It was it was so clouded, <laughs> even more so than GWB and, and all the you know prior. Yeah, if he had been truthful, he would have not went after Snowden like he did and Assange, wouldn't he? Yeah, all the whistleblowers. He went and chased them all. Yep. But anyway, I forget where where I was going with that, but. Um, when the world starts to fall apart and reveal itself, that's because there's this spontaneity to Truman. And Christoph can't account for him going off book. Now, I guess for the first 30 years of Truman's life, he had pretty much stayed the course other than this kind of forward in with um, Sylvia. But other than that, it seems as if he had been relatively predictable. Um, but it's only during this kind of ultimate week of where the dam finally breaks that Truman really kind of spreads his wings and it's hard to manage and and Christoph can't see ahead of where he's going and so there's that one moment where he's trying to get in this elevator and he sees the false kind of behind the set you know people are back there having bagels or whatever did I say that right I know you guys say it differently in Canada Mike uh, there's like there's like two ends of the country I mean you you got you're on the west coast yeah I, I can neither confirm nor deny that well <laughs> <laughs> the sound clock gives me IP permission for viewership. Um, yeah, bagels, bagels, bagels. But um, so, so when uh, when his wife Meryl, who's in on this and is gaslighting him, basically saying that he's crazy, uh, she says, "Well, there was a, this horrible accident, and so I need to go to the hospital right away. This elevator accident. Uh, all these people are injured, and it's because of those non-union workers, those monsters." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. This is what I'm saying. Is it's, there's like a real because Christoph represents both God and the Antichrist. And government. And government. And there's this weird sort of pseudo anti, anti-capitalist, anti-late-stage capitalist, you know, anti-1950s kind of feel. Like that's the fantasy, is that people would, would behave like that. Um, it, it feels like a little bit of a Hollywood kind of commie propaganda thing. But maybe, I think, I think honestly, writers out there think that way. It's not like, I don't know if it's a concerted or conscious effort to, to write these sort of, like, these little sort of subtexts and undertones to things. I think they just believe these things. They believe that way, right? Everyone is a commie, basically. You think that this, this 1950s kind of American dream, white picket fence concept is why present day socialist socialist democrats harken back to the 1950s and the high tax rates and how great everything was is it because they've been watching the truman show yeah something like that uh, oh wait so i want i do want to go back a minute in in every dystopian totalitarian sort of uh scenario that i've noticed it's always a girl that's the foundation of enlightenment the protagonist so is so it's like um his sexuality that will not relent 
against whatever system of misinformation and conditioning that you give somebody like Wilson, no, sorry, Winston in 1984 was chasing ass, uh, Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451, the guy was sort of in love with a girl. Brazil. Right? Yeah. Like it's over. Well, even Neo in the Matrix is chasing after Trinity a little bit. Yeah. And he follows the white rabbit and that, that's what she is essentially. Uh, Anthem, mm -hmm. same problem. But what enlightened him was the idea of the girl that he wanted to have sex with, having sex with somebody else in their breeding ritual that they have every year. And, the, and he, he engaged in the sin of preference. So it's always, it, you can't override that. I mean, they're trying pretty damn hard, right? That they, whatever, um, in quotation marks. But there's a real concerted effort um, create a, a no preference society where like it's, it's, it's hate speech or it's a hate crime to essentially not accept somebody is attractive to you. You have to, like, everyone's equally attractive, and that's not the case. And you can't override that part of you. Sounds like, uh, yeah, Brave New World, where... Oh, yeah, there you go. Same deal. You had to have sex with other people, or else you were seen as, like, a bigot. And again, it's the exact same thing. He met a savage person. Didn't that, didn't that what Jon Snow turned Jon Snow in Game of Thrones as well? A savage person, yeah, yeah, yeah. His, his, his base nature held the, like, oh, the truth. redhead. You know nothing. Yeah, what's up? Uh, break my conditioning for that. Yeah. That ass. Art Neanderthal. I'm in. I'm all in. Anyway, I, I just wanted to yeah, say. Yeah, it is a recurring theme. There, there are, there's something that sort of lights the fuse, but the powder keg that is uh, revelation, enlightenment, is is our sexuality. And and I think these the writers that are effective when they're trying to tell a story realize that. It's at the, the foundation of the story. So, of course, it was a girl. Yeah, and he but, had that fire for her for, what, like, 12, yeah. 13, 14 years. I mean, it was a high school thing. He was like 30, right? In this movie. Yeah, 30. Yeah, like, like 12 years or so. Yeah. And it's almost like an obsessive, creepy way, especially yeah. when he's like cutting out magazine parts and like trying to recreate her face like a dozen years later. Yeah, but he's rich and famous. Like, counts. Yeah, well, I think they really messed this guy up by putting him in this biodome. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the sequel where he comes out and everybody's been watching him his whole life. Can you imagine how mortified he would be? Yeah, super creepy. Uh, do we want to talk about the rights of a child versus the rights of an adult? Yeah. What did, what was Rothbard's stance? Like when you're 18, you get to be a person until then you're owned by your parents. No, as soon as you announce that you are able to take care of yourself, then nobody else has the right to aggress against you. Okay, that's fair. It could be so as soon as different people. Yeah, I mean, as soon as Truman says, hey, I want to get out of here. Yeah. Everybody else, if they had a, a one slight wit of morality in them, would have been like, all right, guess show's over because he wants to leave. Yeah, he couldn't articulate. He couldn't articulate what his. He said he wanted to like travel to, within the construct of his reality. So you could. They were able to like go. Well, he's not actually specifically asking the studio because he doesn't. The studio exists, so it doesn't count. Yeah, he can't. He's been being to his whole life. Yeah, that's what they told him though. That's what they told themselves though to justify keeping him in, in a prison. Yeah, it sounds like some sort of lawyerly double think. Yeah. Yeah, you know another interesting thing, and this goes back to the flat Earth a little bit is when he's describing to Marlon where he wants to go uh, to Fiji, he, he shows him on a golf ball and says, it's as far as you can go from here before you start coming back. So it's like the exact opposite of a globe. And I don't know if that's like a demonstration of Truman wanting to get as far away as possible from this place because he only wants to go to Fiji because that's where the fake dad guy said that's where they were moving when he abducted Sylvia from the beach. So yeah. Is it like a double thing or is it just a coincidental thing that they threw in? I think, I think he rationalized. I think he did research and rationalized that because he's, he knows that he can't tell. He either can't tell people 
his motivation, which is the girl, or he's um, somehow like, oh, what's it called when you push something down, repressed his the desire and that that reasoning he's he's created another reality for himself to be able to, to interact. Like, I think a lot of people, that's kind of a mechanism they, they invent another like language to be able to use with other people so that they don't betray their motivations and get found out and oh i think i see, I see what you're saying this is almost like um a sales process right where people will yeah. make an emotional decision initially and and they'll have decided based on that emotion whether they're going to buy this thing or not and then after they've made that decision then they will look to the facts yeah. and other like more concrete information to then justify that their emotional decision was the correct one they wanted to make yeah or like sometimes i'm having an argument with my girlfriend um and it really has nothing to do with me but able to come up with some pretty convincing arguments as to why her emotions are a product of my behavior and not some sort of static sign curve that you could edit that out. Maybe. I don't know. No, no, leave it in. It's good. Yeah. We got Mike opening up here on the show. Look at uh, that. Well, Finding out that he's a human being after all. That, that transcends every relationship I've had. It's funny to say, um, but people do, they do, they have feelings and then they rationalize their feelings and they, I think in school, that's kind of the only thing people learn is like ra rational defy emotional responses to things. Like well, that, that's a, what school is, right? School right. is putting you into uh, uncomfortable emotional situations and then propagandizing you while you're in this vulnerable state. Yeah, it's quite terrible. I call it the asshole factor. It's, it's, it's all very Pink Floyd of you. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's like, oh, let's take um, kids away from their parents their formative psychological development and put them in. Like, give them one matriarch for 30 kids, right? So they're, like, their mother and teacher, and there's, like, 30 kids for the for the person they want attention from. They'll be wanting attention for the rest of their lives. They'll be, like, conditioned to be attention. Right. It's a scarce resource control. in that environment. Say what? It's a scarce resource in that environment. Yeah. There's a shortage. Because there's no price mechanism. Yeah. And it's just, like, you should be bonding with your parents. Because they hold, you know, it's, like, you meet a lot of people that are this unconditional love that was, like, that they were deprived of when they were growing up. It's because we take children away from their parents and put them in these uh, forced like labor day yeah. prisons. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, I just, I'm not a fan. Um, everyone I know is going into education because it's a steady income in a collapsing economy. We had an election to be fun. Yeah, you think Trudeau's going to stick around? No, I meant the provincial one. Oh, it's like we voted in the um, kind of a pseudo socialist party, but as a protest. But then they took the vote as like a mandate for their actual policy. As per usual. Shocking. So they've been doing their best to completely cripple the economy. That's how they do. I mean, but it's funny, though, is you end up with these, like, the Trump types, right? Where they're, they're I mean, they're just, like, neoconservatives that have a better marketing campaign than the last guy. They're not, they're not some new version of, like, actual independence. They're sort of cuckservatives. So I'm not sure what to do about it. Like, you're still holding out hope for the political process, Mike? Is that what's going on here? Well, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not sure what to do. I'm like, I don't know where, where the solution is. Uh, okay, so you don't actually think that there's a political solution to these political problems? Um, I think there's an engine to, to problems. There's rarely political solutions to problems. Politics is the problem, not the solution. Like, okay. I mean, I, I'm all for diplomacy. Maybe diplomacy is a solution to politics, but politics is a product of um, corrupt people having power. Because the very guys that should have in charge don't want too busy doing their own. And that's but even rise to the top. Yeah. So it's a lead by example. Yeah. It's like, um, if you get back to Trin, right? Because it's a Platonistic character or a Christ character or a Luciferian character, depending on how you want to read it. But it's like, we've always had this story of like a perfect person like, leads by example. Follow that example. That's why we make movies. So, but like Truman's not a political leader. He's a really great story. So you should like watch his example and enlighten yourself. But he's not asking you to give him tax money so that he can like do things, pay for 
somebody else's thing or something you don't necessarily agree with. I don't know. That's kind of the difference to me between narrative and politics, even though one is sort of an extension of the other or a means of controlling a constituency. Am I rambling? Just a bit, but I, I think it mostly is coherent, so that's good. <sighs> 80% coherent. I like it. Thank you. Yeah. So, I mean, the Truman Show itself, wouldn't it be a rather boring watch, don't you think? <laughs> Other than this like split, this one week where he starts to like fracture away from the environment that's been built around him. Yeah. Everything else has been pretty humdrum and boring to watch. Do, well, do they don't think... cut away from him while he's sleeping. No. They just watch him while he's sleeping for eight hours. I, I... You, okay, but you would think that watching people wouldn't be appealing to money or to, to people to such an extent that you can make a career out of eating food on YouTube. Okay, but to be fair, they are taking it to extremes when they're doing that. No, that's fair. That's fair. Like the Nathan so... Hot Dog eating contest? Pretty much. They just like have an, they order enough food for like 10 people and they eat it all themselves. Oh, so like at um, the Great Outdoors, John Candy has to eat the, the steak and he, he has gristle and bones still on the plate and like, no, you, you got to eat all of it. See, see, you were entertained by that. Great. There's a whole genre of YouTube videos just like that. Yeah. And I suppose, I mean, the Seinfeld show is a show about nothing. So they made what? Yeah, nine I, 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 that. Lot structure, right? You're, you know, to his point, he's right. But at the same time, it's like, uh, it's like a fireplace, I guess. It's it's a ASMR kind of situation where people are just they want white noise. Right. But yeah, my problem with it would be you never know when the drama bits are going to come in. So yeah. when you'd be watching and watching and watching and you'd get bored and then finally something exciting happens and then there'd be a big like Hitchcock said I think drama is, you know, just like real life but with all the dull bits cut out. Yeah. This this you wouldn't have the dull bits cut out. I mean, I imagine Kristoff would be shoving in all kinds as much drama as you could realistically put in. But you'd still have that problem of, well, he's going to go to the bathroom and, well, he's going to you know, be quiet for a half an hour. I mean, can't imagine that's super scintillating. I think it's, um, it's speaking to our desire to, like, lead or given an example for, like, I mean, why do we have pets? We don't need dogs anymore to, like, protect us. So we have them to, to watch and take care of and sort of feel empowered by that process. So um, it's a godlike watching in a sense. It's probably one of the appeals. And then the other is just kind of a, like a sense of white noise. Whereas in like, the attachment, I think, yeah. since they watched him grow up as a little yeah. kid, you probably grew up with him or whatever, and you want to see what happens to him. I, I, I imagine like a recap show would be a more popular show where you just kind of get the highlights of the day. Yeah, there would be the two sets of people. There would be the people that watch it on the Sunday night talk, whatever, for three hours. And there'd be people like the, the patrons of that bar, right? And the, the workers in that bar that was so they were like they had the Truman show only four hours at seven to eight, right? Right. Oh, but they also referred to having like greatest hits, like yes, tapes. So there would be two two markets for that, right? And so the greatest hit show would be much easier. But you think that like I mean, what's odd about this they didn't uh subscri subscription based streaming. Because that would be the obvious way to, to make money. Consume this kind of content. Yeah. Let's talk about because I always like to bring it back to reality. If 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 this show could actually exist in reality. Um, it seems to me that Truman exists in a world full of NPCs. So, and NPCs kind of reveal themselves by not having a whole lot to talk about. So, I mean, you can imagine every extra on that show, not really knowing everything that happens to their character, but having a, you know, a short little brief thing. So if he ever does engage them in conversation, they could talk a little bit. But I think, but you know, but I think, I think Truman could really expose them by talking to him repeatedly, you know, and like well, asking him the different days. questions. Yeah, there was a like, couple of cases where he's like, what about this? What about this anomaly? Can you can you deal with this? Can I, if I go around in a circle and I go back on this road, right? So right. He's testing the system for sure. Right. Uh, 
So I'm assuming you'd want a very good improvisational actor, and then you would give him a daily briefing. The whole town full of them, just in case he like wants to well, talk to the guy they, walking his dog. Or They would have to produce a newspaper for the town every day. That would be a working economy in, in a sense, right? Like you would need to have 12 people read a newspaper every day in right. case he decided to read the newspaper. So yeah. they, did have, they did have some uh, newspaper headlines that were relevant to the prior day's events in the movie. And it's like, what if he wants to read the article? You know, it, it can't just be gibberish. It has to be actual words. If you need to hire, I mean, they just fired a bunch of HuffPo guys, right? So that'd be easy to get them, but you'd still have plus, to read the newspaper every day. Plus a real working radio station. I mean, they had all kinds of stuff going on that they would have to try and get this illusion going. Plus what's working odd, TV station, probably. What's odd is that they gave him so much freedom. Because if you had a, you had a baby, you could, I mean, he could have a 10 foot square room. Like, you don't have to give him any freedom. You can keep right. him, you can just observe him in a prison. That would be his reality. He wouldn't yeah, know any you, different. You can, you can give him any history you want, which school's for, right? So, you know, you can, you can tell him that, like, the world exists in these rooms and we're spiritual creatures that manifested out of magma. Like, you can say whatever you wanted. Yeah, hopefully the viewers would object to that immorality, though, because there is a certain amount of uh, objections for like scientific like experiments give, on humans. We give we give the animals we put into zoos like a bit of foliage that they're used to. And we're like, oh, it's pretty much the same. Yeah, good enough. This isn't a wall. But they built this idealized utopia, American dream kind of set for him. Right. And in the Matrix, this would have been the version where entire crops failed. Yes. Entire crops were lost because this is too perfect. People rejected it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Robert, you sent me a uh, a Sim City like video on YouTube of a guy who tried to use um, different types of government policy and saw saw how his uh, envisioned uh, society worked out. Which which version? did you actually watch it? Uh, I watched a bit of it. Yes. Yeah. So it's this guy who doesn't seem to know a whole lot about like anarchy or whatever. But there's a game where it's a Sim City simulator game, basically like you're playing a Sim City modern Sim City version game. But in the game, you get to pick you know, how much government intervention for each policy. So do you want, you know, drugs? None at all. No government issue at all. Figure it out. There's even a, you can even get to pick like which versions of um, economic advisors you want or policies to follow. So you can pick Austrian or Keynesian, oh. which is pretty cool. But, but anyway, he picked a, he kept going for like anarchy, like no rules, no rules, no rules. And he was like, these people should be eating and killing themselves and like killing each other and roaming bands of like, jeep jeeps and like machine guns on the back and stuff but instead it was this thriving city where they had so much money and wealth and everybody was rich it was kind of funny i remember there was a version i think SimCity 2000 i played or maybe no it was Sims 4 um if you it had very deep economic um functions in the game so like if you didn't educate if you didn't set up any schools and there was enough wealth uh they would make their own uh academies Nice. So, like, you, you would be given basically an award for that, those, and then you would be allowed to place an academy, which was, it had a, an education sort of circle that enriched, you know, a certain area, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. So, that sort of thing, like, it, if there was enough, if there was enough farmland within uh, proximity to uh, a certain density of residents, you would be allowed to have, like, a farmer's market and stuff. And that would um, supplement, that would be, you know, uh, a health raise in an area sort of thing. So, it's interesting that, like, those are very interesting. Like, I love cities. It's quite fascist to be able to just, like, make your own city exactly how you want. You're like, I'm, ba I'm banning pets and drugs. If you litter, you go to jail. Like, no. Well, yeah, I mean, there's still elements of the game that are completely fascistic. Like, the fact you that know, you're it, 
Yeah, the fact that you're building and you're choosing where things go and tearing things down at will and whatever, it's completely not anarchy, but it's as close to that as you can get in like a game where you actually have to control things. And games aren't reality, right? So like, I'm totally fine with when you start grabbing people, uh, buying babies at birth and putting them in simulators where they're forced to stay inside of it past their enlightenment, then we have some moral issues. Uh Uh-oh. Sounds like Mike C. disapproves of Kristoff in this movie. Um, well... Sort of. I mean, there is a reading of that where I'm like, well, he was just, it's just the test of, of Truman to become a human, right? To become more than an NPC and become a, you know, a free thinking human, right? And so, you know, in, in some way, his will. Well, he needed, like, the, he needed God to, like, keep pushing his sails down and keep endure to be able to move that. I don't know. I, like, I know that the, the listeners aren't going to see me rolling my eyes, but just saying this is like storytelling. So, it's a very biblical story in that sense. So you could you can take it as a Luciferian enlightenment, and you could also take it as like sort of a Jobian um, suffering uh, suffering under God because that is how you're enlightened. So there's like two sort of takes, if that makes sense. Um, yes, in in the in the strictest sense of like whether or not like Kristoff is a bad person. Yes, absolutely. I mean, where's the fun in that? And what about the viewers and the actors? Complicit. I don't know about the viewers. Like, if you don't, if you don't actively try to uh, free and liberate anyone that you know is in prison, are you a bad person? It's different. Inaction is different than actively supporting. Okay, but I mean, again, advertising is a passive, passive income. Like, you could, you could watch the show and boycott all of the advertising. Would you be, would you be free to do that, or would you still be a, a bad dude, bad hombre? Well, I think there's a scale. I, I, I don't necessarily throw out every single viewer who ever watched an episode as a terrible person. But no, they're, they're misguided too, right? We're all in the prison, I think is the story. Just different prisons. Yeah. Mind prison. I mean, but, you know, we watch things like the real world and these kind of reality type TV shows, understanding that these people are there cognizantly, voluntarily. Eh. It, I think it would be a very different oh, thing to watch a show okay. where the maker was there against as well. Okay, okay, but here's the social construction, right? Like, at what point is watching any star that grows up to become, like, essentially a, you know, young 20s, like, psychotic process? One of these child stars with, like, a parent that's always pushing them to do things and whatnot? Well, yeah, I mean, like, we have a system that takes kids away from their parents, right? So, like I said, there's this built-in need for attention. Then, like, the Disney sort of star gets exploited, likely it'd be. And at what point is watching Britney Spears have a breakdown your complacency and her her abuse it's a good point well i'm not sure surely, surely child acting is child labor and we have laws against child labor N- illegitimate laws against child labor no, but the, the standard isn't the same right? i'm just saying there's a double so we we seem to ignore our own ethics because it's pleasant to have people sing music to us and it's fun to watch them have breakdowns when we can uh convince ourselves that we didn't contribute to that that, that person's just nuts and kind of an asshole and fuck them, because like they got lots of money anyway. Yeah, can you imagine how screwed up Truman would be when he walks out that door and is encountering the real world? Well, he'd have like there'd be like a hundred thousand people waiting, just cheering. You'd get mobbed everywhere he went. Yeah, I think that'd be a, a pretty big problem. And he'd be completely broke. I mean, he never got paid. He'd have his choice of cults, though. Oh yeah. Like I, I mean, would, people would take I him in, no problem. For like the love of my life, I would have. You life. wouldn't settle. You'd have a harem. I would have the ten thousand like waiting at the door when I got out. Nice, the uh, Mike C choice. I like it. That's a character. That's not. <laughs> Is your girlfriend listening? She will though. So. All right, that was a winky face. <laughs> I didn't do anything like that. Anyway.
All right. Well, hey guys, we're uh, we're probably towards the end of the recording time here, so we should probably get into some final summaries and reviews. Unless anyone has any last notes they want to bring up before we wind it down. I went through all my notes. All right, good enough. Well, Mike, why don't you hit us off with your final summary and review and the score out of ten? <sighs> yeah, I, I think I liked it. I think there was a lot there. It's got a bit of a commie kind of attack on our system but there's a lot there that's sort of like i said platonistic so it's got a lot of the allegory that came in there it's pretty fun rebelling against authority i think is a pretty good story so for whatever whatever like shortcomings it, it might have it, it's a fairly enlightenment driven concept and it's fairly inspiring i liked it um i rate it uh 451 out of 1984 okay all right, all right. thank you for that we have to work out whatever that translates into. <laughs> Ten. Or no, it'd be worse. So I'm going to say eight, seven, seven. It's not that great, but it is a good. I think it's worth watching. All right. Well, very good. Very good. Uh, I'll, I'll go next, Robert, if you don't mind, then you can close us out in uh, the cleanup spot there. So the biggest thing for me in this one is the concept of this benevolent provider, uh, master planner, central planner, trying to create an environment, a utopian environment in this uh, centrally planned way that just would not work in real life. And, and I think we touched on that a little bit um, earlier on. Uh, essentially, he's using fear and media to control his subject. And he doesn't account for the spontaneity and the human action that results from people making individual choices. And, and that always yields better results. Well, and like, like Kristoff, who, who deludes uh, Truman, the government indoctrinates, propagandizes, and infantilizes us into compliancy servitude. Yes. I was just going to quote Christoph's line here where he says, there's no more truth out there than here in this world I created for you. The same lies, the same deceit. You are always safe here. I know you better than you know yourself. So this is basically the concept of the omnipotent government, you know, the, the great creator, the central planner. And Truman's response is, well, you never had a camera in my head. You never knew my inner, my inner thoughts. So that was the spontaneity of the human action. Uh, but the result of Kristoff's um, manipulation of Truman is that he did make him afraid. And he even says, you're afraid. That's why you can't leave. But he did it on purpose. That's bullshit, right? Like you can't, you can't like abuse somebody and be like, oh, you're not. Stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, we <laughs> he's, he's talked agreed. about this being a very uh, abusive relationship. It's like this battered spouse that won't leave because they think that the only way they're going to get by is by putting up with the violence that's being inflicted upon them. Yeah, it's the psychological tearing down where you're gaslighting the, your victims so much that they think, you know, it's the Stockholm Syndrome where you think you're better off with this person than the evil outsiders. Yeah, so it's that, like it's the Kim Jong-un situation in North Korea well, where I they like think Korea. they're a part of the greatest country in the world and everything else is like this super hellhole. Yeah, well, I'll do you one better that it's our system. Like it, it at once describes our system of sort of mind control, which is like, it's subtle, right? Because you need... It's like the Matrix, where you need to allow people um, concept of choice. You need to make them think that they're making choices in order to not rebel against the system. Because if there aren't enough choices, then we rebel. So we need right. like, we need to be able to we need to make this like red blue choice once every four years, which might right. as well it's be a, the color the steam valve. Yeah, yeah, it, absolutely. It, it's hope. It creates hope and change. With hope the, and change. Yeah, it's, it's coming every four years, guys. You got it. Um, the most it, important election ever. Check that box every year. Every four years, it's you're doing your part. Yeah, I'm doing my part. 
um, yeah, so it's simultaneously that it's an examination of our sort of mind control. And then it's also uh, sort of Luciferian in the sense of like evil God is rebelling against God, which is Genesis. It's literally just the just taking a fruit, right? And being, make. But it's like, like Genesis is God's verse, Luciferian verse. Like, well, yeah, like I, you're telling me I can't be hurt, but like, I want to know. I want to exist. So take it for what it's worth. I, you know, they're just two, they're just two interpretation reality. They're sort of. <laughs> I think it speaks to this, you know, desire for truth and danger. Like, I'll take dangerous truth over a safe lie. I think that's true of libertarians yeah. and yeah. most liberty-loving people. Yeah, isn't that Jefferson or Franklin quote? Like, a dangerous liberty is far better than a safe servitude? Something something like that. I probably butchered somebody's quote at some point. I don't know. The mashup. We're, we're yeah, saying, it all gets mixed up in there, you well, know. This- yeah, this is why like oppression to be very subtle. Like, yeah, in, in South or in North Korea, if you've got total military can like, well, with whatever Stalin, right? Where you're murdering twenty people a week, yeah, like or well, I don't know, hundred. How many people? week? Come on. Uh, yeah, sorry, I don't know. Do that. the math. He was in power for what? Yeah, three decades, and he killed fifty million. So you gotta, you gotta, you gotta start start that meat grinder going. Yeah. So you can do that. It. I mean, eventually it collapses. If, like you get to live your life as an oppressive master, so whatever. But um, I don't know where I was going with this. You you need total control to even make it work for a tiny amount of time, right? Versus spontaneous and, and improv uh, improvisational order, right? With through anarchy, which is the like driving force of nature. So I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's the code for nature. Really, we can garden and put walls around us and we can use technology and society to, to mitigate the terror you know because nature sucks too right you know, weak people die all the time and that might mean your family so yeah nature is uh the ultimate cruel bitch i mean yeah that's... the whole idea of existence that we have is overcoming nature and bending it to our will to accommodate us being able to propagate yeah, but that that sometimes requires systems so that's that's why we end up with like religion and government yeah that sounds like a jordan peterson argument i i don't know i I'm, glad I, I, I'm unconvinced. Let me just say, I'm, I'm unconvinced that we need systems oh, no, of we, that magnitude. I didn't mean to suggest that we need them. I'm just saying that they are a natural um, manifestation of creating systems that are so prosperous. You don't have to be the the pinnacle of strength to survive in them. Okay, I'll, I'll grant you that for sure. They're <laughs> they are good at organizing energy to maintain. Uh, I if this were a real thing that they were attempting to do, then it would probably have failed far earlier than 30 years into this kind of experiment. Um, I think much like uh, Biodome or Biosphere 2, didn't that also fail when they tried to live in the uh, Biodome for like a year? Something like that. Anyway, um, I think it is an interesting movie, definitely worth watching. It does bring up the question of you know accepting the reality of the world as we are presented with it. And that, in my mind, makes uh, it an allegory to statism and government being in control of education and media and all of the main kind of like main areas where information and learning is uh, thrust upon a young person while they're still developing. And, you know, they can even cue the sun and change the clocks uh, in, in this uh, environment. And, and we see that happen in, in real life. In fact, we just changed the clocks uh, a couple of weeks back at the behest of our benevolent government. So, I'm going to go with a score of, I think, six, six and a half. So a little bit lower than, than Mike, but uh, we are a little bit lower on the map, on the, uh, the globe from you. And I'll go over to Robert for his summary review and score. Literally shaking. You called it a globe. Literally shaking. 
So I think you have to judge this movie since it is ultimately a prison break movie. You have to judge it on the merits of a prison break movie where you take the injustice of the main characters. So Shawshank starts off with the main character being um, falsely convicted of murdering his wife and her lover. And Truman's show starts off with him just being a little baby. And there's nothing more innocent than just a little baby. So I think you have to say that his situation is even more unjust. Um, he had no choice. He didn't even get to make any decisions in his life before he was thrown in prison. Even as nice a prison as this one was. I mean, he, you're not going to get too brutally raped probably in this prison. Um, in fact, you're probably going to be given all kinds of love interests and you're going to have all kinds of interesting things happen to you because it's all manufactured. But um, ultimately, it's a false reality. And like Mike C was talking earlier, you know, ultimately your um, your baser into instincts win out and break through the conditioning. And I think that's a quite interesting thing, even though it's repeated throughout um, different media and different stories. So I was thoroughly enjoying this movie. Um, despite its flaws, it's not perfect. I do enjoy the concept. And uh, even though it's not unique, there's all kinds of these false reality movies. Um, and there will probably be far more of them in the future. But I still, I still had a really good time. Thoroughly engaged the entire time. So I, I like this a little bit more than Daniel did. I'm going to give this like a 7.2 and recommend it for anybody interested. All right. And I, I like the uh, concept of the prison break because he, he actually has a, a literal stairway to heaven after having a, a conversation with his God to escape the prison. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Very good. Well, hey, next week, I think we're going to do dodgeball and talk about the Globo gym. So we're still going to have a little bit of the theme uh, with the Flat Earth because they're using dodgeballs instead of Frisbee discs to uh, to play the game. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. I think, I think it'll be a lot of fun. I'm down for it. Yeah, it wasn't this recommended by a, a listener who said that you know dodgeball is basically fairly libertarian because it doesn't involve the state at all. It's just two different competing dodgeball clubs going at it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I, I'm going to be looking for themes like that. And our guest uh, is going to have a bit of a history. He had some ANCOM leanings back in the Ooh, day fun. and has uh, seen seen the light. So oh, good for him. We will or have her. Uh, it's a or him. G or Zher. Well, okay. I don't wanna, I, let's not trigger anyone here. Okay. But uh, it should be a very, very interesting conversation. So, hey, Mike, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for being our guest on this episode of The Last Nighters, episode 66. We will have on the show notes page a link to your music. And uh, I think uh, I think we'll have you back again sometime in the near future. You have been an excellent guest every time. And uh, we, we really appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, hey, listeners, uh, check it out at thelaunchpadmedia.com and lastnighters.com slash 66. Uh, you can hit us up on the Patreon, lastnighters.com slash Patreon. But as we said at the open, one of the biggest things you can do to make a change in the world that you want to see is give us a review and a rating on iTunes. Subscribe to us uh, there or also on YouTube. And that can help get us some more earballs and get some of this uh, messaging out into the world. So we appreciate you guys. And we'll see you next week with Dodgeball. In case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.
All right, and we'll continue the transmission for a little bit longer on the Actual Anarchy podcast before we get into some potential Kathleen Turner Overdrive, which is available for our Patreon supporters. This is episode 123 of the Actual Anarchy podcast with Mike C. and Robert and myself talking about the Truman Show. Yeah, baby. Which uh, Mike has stepped away for a moment. But, Robert, I I have a few more things on my notes, and we just ran out of time because, uh, well, you know, there's a lot to talk about here. Mm. But... I wanted to discuss the order that Kristoff gives to his second in command to cue the storm to attempt to kill Truman, and he refuses the order. He's like, order 626. Yeah, he does. Strong move. And Kristoff does it anyway, but the conscience of uh, Paul Giamatti's character, I don't even recall the name, uh, is that, no, I'm not going to weaponize the the earth here or the, the weather and try to murder this guy. Yeah, I'm not. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do everything up to murder to this guy. But up to murder—that's where I draw the line. I'm Mr. Morality, Paul Giamatti's character. But at right. least he doesn't murder the guy. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't do the full Nuremberg response. You know, he he, right. he finally does reach that point. And I think they talked about this in the Milgram experiment, where certain, you know, a high preponderance of people will go all the way to shock the person until they think the subject is dead. But some people right. actually did refuse, despite the. Um, the authority of that person wearing a lab coat and having a having a uh, clipboard. So yeah. there were some people who who still did refuse to go after a certain point. Yeah, and those were all done on I think young adults, right? Is that correct? The Milgram experiment. Those are like college students. Usually, most most of these kind of experiments are done on college students. This yeah. is before the but the prefrontal cortex is fully formed. Usually, it doesn't. I think until you're twenty five. So you're yeah. still a, a fairly a bit uh, impressionable at that point. It's a bad sample, too, because they're already in a situation conditioned to obey. Right. So, so yeah, it's time in this place. and do. I think it's, can. yeah, it's it's like Mike says, it's a bad sample. If you were to take a cross, more of a thorough cross-section of society, I think the, the situation would be a little bit better. Yeah, but especially if without, you know, young, impressionable kids. I mean, yes, they're technically adults, but. The, you know, the experiment wants to be afraid of people, essentially, and like them getting together and. And, you know, it, it's basically like, I mean, it, it's basically like what, what happened in Stalinist uh, Soviet Union and Nazi Germany and all these situations. And it could happen here is kind of, I think, what they were going for with the experiment. They're, they're, well, they're, they're not they're not wrong in that sense. No, they're not. They're not. But again, it's like you're it doesn't just like you, you can talk to each other. You know what I mean? For a little bit. It's, you know, we're not a Nazi saying something mean on Twitter is kind of like where that experiment leans, right? Because like I said, it's a bad sample. I think I think more people than we realize would natural rebel. I hope so. I, I tend to think so, but I also see a whole ton of status who go along with pretty much everything. Yeah. And a lot of it is they don't see it that way either. They don't, or they the, don't see the walls of the prison. Or they don't they don't object to it on principle. They just want to change it just a little bit. It's just yeah, uh, you're just a little bit too far. Let's dial back this way or move it this yeah. way. It is, uh, right. But where the line is, right? Yeah, yeah, or if like, or if their guy said it, it would be fine. Oh yeah, right. there, yeah. There's that. If you control for for variables on that one, you can usually get people to to agree with things that they disagree with. Is you know the bad person. Right. If you had a guy wearing a MAGA hat doing the Milgram experiment in San Francisco, I think your results would be a fair bit different. Yeah. So they, I think they did that with the they did that with Trump and Ray. I'd like to with like Mein Kampf and um, Communist Manifesto. See if I could switch those rounds around on people and see if they can guess. Because they're very similar, right? In terms of like narrative groups. Well, didn't those um, those guys that did those fake uh, studies, they just did a section of Mein Kampf as one of their studies? Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Good book. 
I mean, Basically, they just rewrote Mein Kampf, a section of Mein Kampf, and turned it into an academic journal, and they accepted it. Oh, yeah. No, they replaced parts. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. those guys were trolling. Uh, right. Yeah. The they academic did, they did. Yeah. They were one category, one identity category with like masculinity or men or something or white cis males. Or they right. did like, they, 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 yeah, they with, yeah, men or they something. They got a part of Mein Kampf published in academia. And yeah. they published the, They published their entire like. They documented their entire process. Uh, yeah. Then they get called out as trolls afterwards. Like, no, they exposed you. <laughs> and that's and that's the true experiment. That's the actual academic that you guys. Yeah, man, that's the. I like. Uh, have you guys? Have you guys heard the the latest related to that? Um, and and not specifically to that, but to uh the worth of consensus science and and research and citing papers and things like that is science is not never consensus. Sorry, continue. But the state of peer review, yeah, right now. What are you saying, Daniel? Uh, Duke University to pay $112.5 million settlement for faked research. Yes, yes. Taxpayers so paying other Duke taxpayers. Set up fake studies and fake research and then put it out there? Apparently, yeah. So I'm going to post this on our show notes page at actualanarchy.com slash one, two, three. As easy That's as absolutely insane. I love it. Nice. Yeah, it's another chink in the armor. Um, and, you know, when, when Robert, you and I were at the, uh, the Larkin Rose Candles in the Dark event, uh, he made the point that, you know, when you cite different studies or papers or authors or my person says this, your person says that, my study said this, your study says that, you're just at this deadlock because you can always find something that's going to support your perspective. And they're always going to be able to find something else that will uh, basically be the opposite of that, but also appear to be supported because, well, it's in a research paper. It's in, you know, this book or it's in this uh, this news article. And that's why you have to get to the... Um, you know, he breaks it down to the moral questions. You know, you break it down to the basics. Yeah, yeah, because arguing with status, it's always like your facts versus their facts, your study versus their study, your statistics versus their statistics. And it's just that that status trap. That, that argument trap is you're always going to be countered by their facts. Right, yeah, and, and we dug into this more with uh, Pat McFarlane at Liberty Weekly. And uh, there's an episode of that where, where we have that discussion at libertyweekly.net slash 26. And Robert, in the near future, I think we're going to have the new co-host for Liberty Weekly on our show to talk about a movie. And he he wants to talk with us about his experience with Larkin and Candles in the Dark. And that's Keith Knight, who you gave a shout out for on our previous episode because he makes some really amazing videos and has some very compelling arguments. Yeah, he's if you, people aren't following him, he's dumping out just tons and tons of content. He's very prolific on YouTube and each of his videos is just jam-packed full of fantastic arguments. He's very well-read. He's you know, just tearing it up right now. So check him out if you Don't haven't. Don't do it on anyone, I think, is the name of the channel, correct? Correct, yep. I uh, much prefer arguments to statistics since, well, statistics will say anything if you torture them. Yeah, there are lies and damn lies, then it's a true yeah, story. So, but, like, compelling argument. I mean, like, so I like game theory and stuff. I can endure conflict movies about war and stuff like that when I'm just examining the conflict for what it is. Right? I've I've overcome the allergic reaction I used to have <laughs> to, to oppression so I can think straight and, and analyze the situation because, like, it doesn't help if you can't win. you got to figure out a way to, like, be anarchical and then still be able to manifest a defense and, like, organize with people, which happens spontaneously for the most part. But it's like, what do you do when the government tells you you're not allowed to want a goat to cut your lawn for you for, like, no reason at all, right? Sounds like California. Is that... I mean, surely you guys can have goats. You just got to sell the, the people on some sort of, like, hippie version of why. Yeah, that would work in Seattle, I think, Washington. Yeah, yeah we got to... AOC gets in there. Got to cater our... Want to farting. To emotion. Where's, where's AOC from? What... NY. Congresswoman? 
Yeah, she's a New York. She's uh, like New York City, some borough or whatever, Brooklyn or Queens or something. That cesspool. <laughs> yeah, it is a cesspool, but she's getting a lot of coverage, man. And it is it is a little bit scary. Just the cult of personality that's being built up around her. There's already people in my Facebook feed uh, from the Seattle area who are like, oh, just seven more years and she's eligible to be president. That's awesome. Great job. Um, isn't there a statue of like, Seattle? There is, yeah, in Fremont, center of the known universe. So can you not can you not like look at it and say like, look, this is triggering? Like I've been assaulted by a statue and I, I can sue the, the people now or you should, you have to censor the statue? You're not allowed to do that? Yeah, I don't know if there's been really any hubbub about that it's there. seattle they're not they love that crap but yeah. I, what do you guys think of aoc do you think she's pushing the overton window too far to the left or do you think she's trump's best gift yeah i don't know i feel like yeah that, that's actually a really good question it feels like a show most of the time like i i think she believes what she's saying and she and like it's like she she half believes which the likes the endorphins associated with attention and so she ends up very much believing what she's saying uh, I think that the people that run things run things by manipulating those people. So she's a she's a godsend, a system that relies on two camps fighting each other and swinging a pendulum back and forth politically to keep everyone off balance. Is that too conspiracy theory? No, no, I think that makes sense to me. I think she's heralding in a, a further swing to the left. I mean, yeah. Bernie used to be the the extreme fringe, and now he's not quite leftist enough for a lot of these people who are now announced to be candidates in the 2020 election. And uh, there's this great meme uh, with Bernie saying 1001, because, of course, Andrew Yang uh, is promising $1,000 a month to everyone. (laughs) Yeah, I tend to think that uh, right now she's a great gift to Trump because there's still some pushback to these crazy socialists. But in in the long term, I think this is a bad sign that people like her are popular. Um, I feel like... She's probably the beginning of a socialist wave that's just going to just destroy everything. I think the demographics are, are trending that way. What's interesting that's happening right now is that it's not really a swing the same way it used to be, so much as a divergence into camps. So, like, this will simultaneously embolden, like, the communists, but also the sort of conservatives, the war hawk side, right? Like, it's not like, like Trump's happy to continue to interfere with other countries and enrich himself and stuff. I mean, I'm not saying, like... A, the whole lesser of two evils, it's hands down, you know what I mean? But from that side, he's still sort of beholden to the, you know, the CIA and the deep state and, and all the pieces that are already in play. Like, it's not like he, all the intervention that's going on. Um, no, he would be killed tomorrow. That's what's interesting is that, for. like, these single, these single issue voters, these single issue sort of ideologues don't even really talk to each other of the same things. Like, like the, the sort of conservative side's always been about, like, fucking up the Middle East. And the, the so-called liberal side has always been about, like, feeding the poor and having zero accountability for our actions. And, like, those are totally different. I mean, they, they, they extend from state problem, but they're completely different issues politically. In, in, in the landscape of how we have these conversations about politics, they're different issues. All right. I think we're going to need to maybe move this conversation into our Kathleen Turner overdrive because we are, we are very long on this episode of Actual Anarchy. So if you, if you guys don't mind, shall we continue there? And that can be available for our Patreon supporters. Um, yeah, yeah, it's still lots here. So yeah, I just want to thank everybody for tuning in. Thanks to Mike C for coming back for another fantastic episode. Hope everybody enjoyed it. Tune in next week for Dodgeball. Check out that movie. Be prepared with some ideas, some thoughts, and if we get them, if we add to your ideas, or if we totally get it wrong, I want to hear about it. 
All right. And remember to give us the uh, old subscribes and reviews, ratings and reviews on iTunes. That's that's the top thing that we're looking for right now. And uh, thanks for listening. This has been Actual Anarchy Episode 123. Good night, everyone. Chipmunks. C H I P M U N K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do 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 days of the internet, radical libertarians were scattered, lonely, and faceless. Without direction, they resigned to scour the web, sifting through content providers in a wasteland plagued by YouTube demonetization, Facebook jail, and covert internet censorship. But then, in 2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com.